Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Ezra chapter 3 this morning. Ezra chapter 3. Locations. Uh, main text, of course, and then different verses, but this one's mostly in this chapter. Week one, we looked at the altar of faith. Week two, we looked at the altar of intercession. Week three, we looked at the altar of obedience. Week four, we looked at the altar of humility. Week number five, today, the altar of rebuilding. The altar of rebuilding. Ezra chapter three, starting in verse number one. The Bible says, And when the seventh month was come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Verse number 3 says, And they set the altar upon his bases, for fear was upon them, because the people of those countries, and they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the word of God. We ask you, Father, that you would teach us to rebuild the altars in our life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In each of the lessons that we have looked at so far, there has been this idea of needing altars in our life. It's got to start with the altar of faith, and then we learn to pray for others, the altar of intercession. We learn to obey God at the altar of obedience, and we learn humility at the altar of humility. But this morning, I, I am faced with the fact that we are nothing but human. Many of us in this room, we've been saved quite some time. My wife and I, uh, 22 years, if I remember correctly. Uh, anybody over 40 years, been saved over 40, over 50? Amen. Those of you that have been saved a great number of years, you understand this. There are times in our life when we are closer to God than we have been at other points in our, in our Christian walk. That is a shame. It really is. But it is our human nature. And often when we, when we decide, and it is almost always a decision that we make, we decide to walk away from God or slide back or relax our faith, call it what you want to, we often lose something in the process. And quite often we, we tear down some of the altars that we may have previously had. In this passage of Scripture, the children of Israel have Return to the promised land. In Ezra chapter number 1, we see the command by Cyrus to allow the children of Israel to return to the promised land and bring back everything that had been taken. In chapter number 2, we see the census of the people and the accounting of the items that were brought back. But when we get to verse number three, or chapter number 3 and verse number 1, we see that they came back to the, children, to the land of Israel and returned to their cities. And as I, I thought about this and I looked at it, the Bible says in their cities, they, they, were, they were back in what was normal to them. Life was going on as it always had. It's amazing how quickly we can recover from disaster and, and just, just distractions in our life. And we come to this place and in just a short period of time, we can come back to a sense of normalcy. But there was something missing in their life. 
There was something that wasn't there that was previously. And they begin to realize what this is. And the interesting part is that in this verse, in verse number one, it says they gathered themselves. This was not something where the man of God began to call to the children of Israel. And we, we see that time and again in Scripture. We see that God will send a prophet and the prophet will send out a decree throughout the nation and the children of Israel will gather as one people. And it, it's an amazing thing to do. But in this passage of Scripture, it seems as if God had been working in the hearts of the people to show them that something was missing from their life. And they decided themselves, all of these thousands and millions of people, these Israelite people decided to return to Jerusalem. We're missing something. We don't know necessarily what it is, but we've got to figure it out. And as they come back to Jerusalem, they, they get there and they come back and they realize what the problem is. In verse number two, the Bible says, Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Josedach, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren. Now, just for a moment there, I'd point out to you that these people that are mentioned, of course, we see the priesthood mentioned. But it's not just the priesthood that's mentioned. We get down a little bit further, I think it's verse number 8 or so, and it begins to tell us that part of these people that are dealing, dealing with this are the tribe of Judah. It's not just the priesthood that's trying to fix things. This takes a concerted effort to put things back to normal. It takes a consensus. It, it takes a, a united decision. Notice the remainder of this verse. It says, And builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They, they built this offer, altar as it is written. They wanted to go back to doing things the way that it was. Time and again in Scripture, the Bible tells us to go back to the old paths, to seek out the old ways. For you and I in this room this morning, we've been saved some time. We've seen Christianity at its finest. But we've also seen Christianity at what I would call the dregs of society. Christianity today is not what Christianity was when many of us were saved. Some of you being saved 40 or 50 years, you guys have seen what Christianity was in its so-called modern heyday. What, when people actually had a reverence for the house of God. That doesn't exist anymore. I know churches that, that combat the issue of finding things in their parking lot on Sunday morning that just ought not be there. They're using their parking lot as a place to party and fornicate and all of these other things. And I know that doesn't sound pleasant, but that's the reality of society today. There is no reverence for the house of God anymore. I remember when I was a boy, and I'm, I've only been saved 20-something years, and guys, I remember as a, as a boy, I remember that the, our friends, my friends in high school, we wouldn't party near the church. It just was a no-go place to be. We were afraid that God would do something, but that doesn't exist today. We've seen what it could be. We've seen what it is today. And they decide to build the altar. Notice verse 3. The Bible says, and they set the altar upon his bases. I read this verse and I'm like, what on earth is it talking about? Set it upon his bases. Now I would point out to you, first of all, that many times in Scripture, when you read about the altar, it almost always has a male pronoun. Uh, there's a very good reason for that. And of course, they symbolize and typify Jesus Christ. You go back and you look at the building of the tabernacle and each of the items in the tabernacle are always referenced with a male pronoun because they're always talking about Christ. 
But they set it upon its basis. They set the altar back where it was. They weren't looking for a new way of doing things. They weren't looking for a new way of doing church. They weren't trying to bring in modern music. They weren't trying to modernize Christianity. They wanted to go back to what God had originally said to do. They put the altar on his basis. Notice the reason why. It says, for fear was upon them. Fear. Our emotions, I, I have a, a, member, a man that I used to go to church with years ago. Rita knows who I'm talking about. That He had this distaste for anything emotional. But our emotions are given to us by God. They are exemplified by the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus wept tells us that he had emotions and they're the same emotions that we've got. The emotions that we go through, they drive us one way or the other. Fear can either drive us closer to God or draw us closer, should be the right phrase, or they can drive us away from God. There are many factors in our life, emotional factors, that can either bring us closer to God or take us away from Him. And these people chose to allow that fear to drive them or draw them to God. A few years ago, our nation went through something, the biggest test of Christianity, in my opinion. And as a, as a whole, our nation failed the test. Christians decided to stay home instead of trusting God and letting Him take care of it. And I'm not saying that what was happening wasn't a problem and it wasn't real. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that we should have faith over fear. We should allow God to draw us closer to Him in those times when we don't know what's going on. In those times when, we, when, we're, when we're so scared about what might be next week. It's not a time to draw away and hide in our home. It's a time to draw close to God and say, Lord, you're my only help. Guys, we've got to rebuild the altars. We've got to come back to what God wanted. And the problem is, many of us, we are still struggling with it. I see it every Sunday morning. I can imagine what goes through my pastor's mind and heart as he stands before the church. And after Sunday school, people leave. After Sunday morning service, they don't come back for the evening service. Guys, we've come to a place where we've relegated God to something less than what He should be. We have lost an altar, and we need to rebuild it. We've got to put it back to the way that God said to have it. They offered burnt offerings morning and evening. This wasn't something that was designed to be just a once and done this was designed to be something that was ongoing, continuing. I'll put a challenge to you this morning. If you think that you only need one church service a week, I challenge you to eat one meal today and don't eat again until next Sunday. You think you don't need church? You need church. You need that physical food. You've got to have spiritual food too. I don't know about you guys, I didn't get this size by accident. I like to eat. And guys, my spiritual side, it needs to be fed. We've got to come back. But it doesn't stop with just the building of the altar. Notice verse 4. 
Verse 4, the Bible says, they kept also, verses 4 and 5, they kept also the Feast of Tabernacles as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the custom and the duty of every day required. And afterward offered the continual burnt offering, both of the new moon and of all the set feasts of the Lord that were consecrated, and every one that willingly offered a freewill offering unto the Lord. Notice this verse. It says that they reinstituted the Feast of Tabernacles. The children of Israel had not been following God's command. God had instituted a series of, of feasts and celebrations that they were supposed to come. They were supposed to be before Him. They were supposed to offer offerings and to celebrate what God had done for them. And they had laid it aside. For years, they had not been doing what God said. And it wasn't about just the offering. It wasn't about just the burnt offerings. It was about total obedience. Pastor, Wednesday night, if you, if you weren't here Wednesday night, go back and listen to the Wednesday night message because Pastor talks about this same kind of thing. We can go through the motions of obedience and still not obey God. We can come to the place where we are doing on the outward, we're doing what God says to do, and on the inward, we're not doing anything. But these people weren't even doing it on the outside. They weren't even pretending to play church. And here they reinstitute all of these feasts Notice in this verse it says the offerings by number. If you go back to Numbers chapter 29, you read verses 12 through 40. On each day of this particular celebration, they were to offer a particular sacrifice. We don't have time to go into all of that this morning. But there is this, this idea of each day requires something different than the day before. You know, you and I this morning, if we try to do just exactly the same thing every day, we're going to miss something. We're going to miss something really good. You know, I, I, I understand the concept of reading through the Bible, but personally, I struggle with that. I'll be quite honest with you. Because to me, just going through the motions of reading a set few verses, that doesn't do it for me. I've got to have something more. I, I get so caught up in, what does this mean? Where does this go? <laughs> oh, cross-reference. Oh, yeah. And, and I'll end up in a totally different book. And it's so cool. It's neat the way that God does that. But if I was just set on just reading those verses, oh, I can't go there. I, I've got to get these verses done. I, I can't do that. What will I have missed? Guys, we've got to come to the place where we realize that the offerings are by number. That each day is a little bit different than the day before. We need to follow God's commands and we need to obey Him. But there's also in this verse, there are two words that are used. The word custom and duty. Custom is basically the traditions, the normalcy of worship and the duty. We hate the word duty as Christians. Oh, I don't worship God out of duty. Well, we should. We should worship God out of duty, but we should also do it out of, out of a desire to obey Him. There's nothing wrong with duty. Duty is good, but it should be done willingly. Guys, when we read these verses, we see this continuation of worship and increased closeness to God. I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I have had points in my Christian walk where I've had to stop and realize that I'm not as close as I used to be at certain points. My wife and I, we had a church that, that we went, and I was the, I guess you'd call it interim pastor. I was there about six months. 
And when all that fell apart, we went back to the church we'd been a part of. And because of everything that I'd been through, it changed me. It scarred me, to be quite honest with you, my wife as well. And when we went back, it just wasn't the same. And it wasn't the church that had changed. It was us. We had one dear lady in the church. She came up to me at the end of one of the services, and she goes, something's changed about you. And we all get like that. We have things that happen in our life, and we change. But we need to come back, reestablish the altar, allow God to be preeminent in our life, allow God to be that first place. I don't know about you guys, but I have seen so many Christians that God's not even second place. I'd be hesitant to say that he even makes it to the top 10. I know Christians like that, and I don't want to be one of them. And the only way that we can prevent that is to continually be repairing the altar, be rebuilding it when we see the damage take place, to come back and allow God to fix us. Notice verse number 6, the Bible says, From the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. Whatever you do, if this morning you decide, I need to rebuild the altar, don't wait until things are perfect. If you wait until everything is perfect, you will never rebuild the altar. Never. One of the biggest hindrances to people accepting Jesus Christ is this idea that they think they need to fix themselves before they come to Him. And the problem is they will never do it. You will never be good enough to be considered a child of God, ever. And if that's what you're waiting on, you're not going to do it. And guys, as children of God, we need to understand that we'll never be perfect. That we can come to God even when our our life is falling apart and we can put the altar back together and say, God, you're the only one that's going to get me through this. I've been through things in my life, some of them in just the last few years, that if it hadn't been for God, I would have walked away from all of it. I would have walked away from Christianity. I would have walked away from church. But God was that one thing in my life that I knew I could count on. I knew I could go to His Word, and I could read, and I could be encouraged, and I could be strengthened. Guys, we all face moments like this. We've all heard heard old songs, He didn't even shake my hand. (laughs) Guys, we get our feelings hurt and get all bent out of shape over nothing, and it drives us away from God. We've got to be keeping, rebuilding this altar. Verse number 7, the Bible says, And they gave money also unto the masons, to the carpenters, and meat and drink also unto them of Zidon and of them of Tyre, to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea of Joppa, according to the grant that they had of King Cyrus of Persia. They gave money. I I had a gentleman that I worked with years ago, right about the time I got saved, and I asked him, why do you go to this particular church that you go to? He went to a a church of the brethren, is what it was called. And I asked him, I said, why do you go to that church? And he said, because they never preach on money. 
I'm like, that's, that is the dumbest reason to, to pick a church, to be quite honest with you. They never preach on money. Money is a part of life. We like being here. I don't know about you guys. I'm standing up here this morning sweating like a mule. <laughs> Thermostat is set on 69 degrees back there just like it always is. I don't know about you guys. If somebody turned that thing up about three degrees, I might revolt and leave. <laughs> I like comfort. I like the air conditioning. I like the carpet. I like the lights. It takes money. It takes money. Money, yes, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and He owns the hills too. We know the saying. But you know something? God has all the money this church needs and the problem is it's in our pockets. I'm a firm believer in tithing and I do believe in giving to the church. This verse really gives this idea that finances are important and our our dedication to God, when we begin to rebuild the altars of our life, it will affect our finances. It will affect the way that we give. If you're not giving to missions, pray. Let God put, in, uh, put something in your heart to give to missions. Even if it's only a dollar a week, watch what God does. We had a pastor years ago, Rita and I did, that told us to just give $5 a week. That was pushing. I'll be quite honest with you. $5 a week was a lot of money at that point. But we saw God do something we never could have imagined. They began to add to my paycheck. We began to be able to give more than $5 a week. Every year since that point, Rita and I have been able to increase the amount of money that we give to missions each year. That's God. But it's all about rebuilding the altar first. You've got to rebuild this altar in your life in order to be able to see God move to His very greatest Verse number eight, the Bible says, in the second year of their coming unto the house of the God, house of God of Jerusalem, in the second month began Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and they all and all they that were come out of the captivity into Jerusalem, and appointed the Levites from twenty years old and upward to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. Now, first of all, this is the second year. Things still aren't perfect, but things have changed. They've begun to grow closer to God, and they've kept at it. If there's one thing this morning that I would have you to understand is don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stop trusting God. Don't stop rebuilding the altar, because you've got to continue to see the very best. In this verse, we see that they began, they began to appoint workers. Rita was reading something to me yesterday, and I said, man, that really goes with the Sunday school lesson for today. Because, <laughs> Pastor, I'm, I'm going to say this directly to you. Don't be afraid to tell people what to do. They appointed people from 20 years old and upward. Anybody in the room under 20? It's a whole lot easier than asking who's the oldest in the room, too. So, 20 years old and upward. That's us. God did not give you a permission to retire. Your retirement will come when you get to heaven. We've got the best retirement plan out of this world. I can tell you that right now. There's not a 401k in this world that will touch what we've got. You say, but preacher, I am not able. I, brother, I know you're 91 years old back there. You just celebrated your birthday. But there's still things that even you can do. You can pray. You can... Hold up the pastor to the Lord and say, Lord, help him. 
I know he's human. I know he's frail. I know he's going through things. Help him. You know what the, you know what the devil likes to do? He may not be able to attack preacher directly, so he'll attack his family. I've seen it. The devil's good at it. Pray for him. You're in this room. Maybe you can't go out on Saturdays when the church gathers together to go out and knock on doors, but pray while they do. There are things you can do. Don't stop serving God. We've got to keep serving him. Notice this verse. They appointed from 20 years old and upward for the work of the house of the Lord. There are things that need to be done around here on a continual basis. I'm not going to ask when's the last time the church was painted. But you look at the church, any part of the church, and there's evidence that it's been a while. And I'm not criticizing, trust me. It's hard to say, we're going to paint this sanctuary. <laughs> oh my gosh, I hate painting with a passion. But you know something, it's a necessity. This church needs work. This church needs constant maintenance. There's gutters outside that they need some things. There's always repairs that need to be done. And it is not pastor's job. Amen. I hate that idea. Oh, well, just hire a pastor. Let the pastor take care of it. That's not the pastor's job. Is he supposed to help? Sure. But it's not his job. Guys, that's why a church has deacons and trustees. That's why a church needs people to work. Notice, if you will, with me, verse number 9. Then stood Jeshua with his sons and his brethren, Cadmiel and his sons and the sons of Judah together, verse number 9, to set forward the workmen in the house of God, the sons of Hanadad with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. Notice it says with his sons. When you begin to rebuild the altar, it's not a one-man job. I am a firm believer that it is the husband's duty to guide his home. It is his job to lead that family to be the spiritual head of his home. If you are in this room and you are a husband and you are not doing that, you need to get right with God. Not with me, not with pastor, get right with God. Lead your home. Guide your home. Make God the preeminent one. Make him the prominent one. But you can't do it alone. You've got to have your family behind you. Your family will follow you if you will lead. One of the first things that we were taught as Christians, my wife and I, was the simple fact that if I, as the husband, would lead my family, my family would follow me. And they did. They're looking for somebody to follow. They want somebody. They're, your children, your grandchildren, want somebody that they can look up to. And if you're not that, they'll find somebody else. Why do children have sports heroes? What do they call them today? Idols. There's a good, real good reason that word is used. They worship them. That's not supposed to be the case. The husband is supposed to be the leader of the home. This idea of setting forward the workers of the, home, of the church, of the tabernacle and temple, this idea of setting forward means to lift them up and encourage them. When's the last time any of you in this room this morning thanked somebody that did something during vacation Bible school? When's the last time you purposely went and found one of them? We have at least one of them in the room this morning. A couple of them. You know something? When's the last time you thanked them for what they did? 
You're not able to do it. Why not thank the ones that did? Lift them up. A quick card that says, thank you for your service. And I'm not talking about military service. A quick thank you of some kind. And and I'm not talking about buying something expensive. There's something about just saying thank you to somebody. Man, I tell you what, I'll be quite honest with you. There are years that you go through life and nobody ever thanks you for anything that you do. It's pretty nice when they do. Verse number 10. And, the builders of, uh, and when the builders laid the foundations of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with the trumpets and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, uh, after David, king of Israel. Now notice in this verse there are several things. First of all, there's clothing mentioned. Don't dress like a hobo, okay? Uh, if that's the best that you've got, that's fine. But we're serving God here. At least be clean and neat. Come into the house of God with the idea that you want to give God your very best. But notice what else it says. It says they were playing trumpets and cymbals. One of the things that over the course of the last six months or so that I have seen is the church beginning to use more music. I like it. I'm not talking about worldly music. I'm not talking bass guitars and drums. That's not the type of stuff we're talking here. We've got a, a piano up here, the little one. And sis, where'd she go? She was There you are. She's hiding right in plain sight. That's amazing the way that happens. She's begun playing the little piano up here on the organ mode. Oh, man, I like that. I like the sound of an organ. We've got a couple of people that have started playing their guitar. Sis, you've got your zither that you play on occasion. Hey, man, I like it. If you've got an ability to play a musical instrument, talk to preacher. Talk to, uh, brain just went down, gone. That's his name. (laughs) Talk to Preston. He's leading the choir and such. Man, get involved. Play the instruments that God's given you the talent to play. I would give nearly anything to be able to play any instrument other than the radio in my car. (laughs) And there's days I do good to try and figure that out, you know. Guys, play what God has given you a blessing to do. Verse 11, they sang together, praising and giving thanks, excuse me, unto the Lord. But that's not all that they did. Notice at the end of that verse, it says they shouted. (laughs) We as Baptists, we've got this idea, oh, we can't be loud. I had a lady years ago in one church, she told me I was the loudest person she knew. And I took that as a a praise. I, I said, thank you. She didn't like that, but that's okay. That's her problem. Say amen. Say praise the Lord, whatever, you know. Stand up, shake your hanky, you know, whatever. Who cares? Get involved. Begin to praise God and shout. God's done something for us. He's worthy. We're as quiet as a bunch of Presbyterians that have been drinking. I'm telling you what, we just sit there and mope. We ought not be like that. Verse number 12. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men. I look around the room this morning and I'm not telling you you're ancient, but the Bible is. We're ancient men. We're the elders of the church and not elders in the biblical sense, but we are the oldest in the church. Notice here, the priests and the chief of the fathers who were ancient men, 
that had seen the first house when the foundation of the house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice. Many shouted aloud for joy. We see a contradiction in this particular verse. Not a contradiction of Scripture, but a contradiction of viewpoint. Those of us that have been saved a while, we see church as it is today, and we mourn for what's gone. In many cases, it'll never be back. But we can praise God as well for what God is doing. As I thought about this, we can weep over the loss of the joy of the believer. We go through life with no joy. We're as bad as the unsaved. Often they're, more, they're happier than we are. That ought not be the case. Some of you went to the baseball game the other night. The world knows how to party. The world knows how to celebrate things. But we've forgotten. We weep maybe over the compromise of the saints. We may weep over the apathy of God's people. But we can rejoice. We can shout for the souls that are still being saved. We can shout for the salvation that God has provided. We can shout for the sure knowledge that heaven awaits. Guys, we've still got things to shout about. It may not be 70 years ago. It may not be 150 years ago. Some of the men that preached during the Great Awakening here in the United States, they saw some people come to love God. But I have noticed one thing. The cities where all of those great events took place are just as bad today as anywhere else in the country. Something got dropped along the way. Rebuild the altar. Verse 13, and we'll finish. It says, So that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. There's a comedian from years ago. He's not a good comedian, but he's a comedian. He used to have this thing that he said about pigeons in big cities. He said that when they came to the city, they were vocal. They had this good coup that they would make, and somewhere along the way, something happened, and all the smog got in their throat, and they could no longer make the sounds that they made, and so all of it came out as just this little... That's the problem with us as Christians. We've come to the place where we've forgotten how to shout. If there's one thing this world needs to see is that a bunch of Christians that have rebuilt the altar and learned how to shout again. And I'll tell you what, I am not a, I am not a Pentecostal by any means, but we as Baptists have come to the place where we're so afraid of being accused of being Pentecostal that we've forgotten how to shout. I'll tell you what, we went to a preacher's meeting not too long ago and there's some guys that know how to shout. That one down here in Millersburg last year, I think it was, man alive, that was a shouting time in heaven right there. Guys, we need to get back to building these altars. Put it back the way that it used to be. We're running late. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you. I ask you, Lord, that you just bless this time we pray, work in your people. And Father, it's all in your name we ask it. In Jesus' name, amen. we stand our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we need to get back to where we were. As the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, we'll give you a moment. Why don't you talk to the Lord? Rebuilding the altar.
we're all at that place at some point in our life where we need, where we would say, and there was a time when I was closer. And when we recognize that, boy, we need to get back to where we were. We need to rebuild that altar. Rebuild the things that we used to do. Our invitation to a close. Again, appreciate the lesson this morning.